My name is John Duvall. Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. We're so thankful that you've been able to take your time to, or take the time out of your busy day, to join us for a period of factoring the truth of God's Word into our, and hopefully your, daily life as well. We are about to begin our study through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, I decided when we started back Truth Factor after about almost a three-year hiatus that we would spend a little more time with topical studies, but still interweave book studies. And so we've done, we spent about three weeks plus one week with question and answers in the topic world. And then now we're going to start a study through Ecclesiastes. And that'll begin today here in just a few moments. I think we have everyone with us today with the exception of Paul. Paul, I think, had to hop a boat to Rome or Miletus or Crete. I'm not sure. So he's he's not he with to, us. He today. has to get back home by he has to get home by the you know by the Passover. That's right, that's right. Or else his wife may pass over him. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we missed Paul today. But like I said, we're going to be starting Ecclesiastes chapter one. Now we would love for you to participate in our study today, and there are several different ways you can do this. And I'll walk you through it here real quick. Um, if you join this through our Facebook page, so we're streaming live there, you can leave a comment on the live stream and we'll see it, bring it into our study. If you're watching us on our YouTube channel, and both of those are Truth Factor Live, then you can use the chat area there with the live stream on YouTube. Today, I decided to try to send a stream to Twitter. So we are at Truth Factor Live on Twitter. So if you wanted to watch us through the Twitter app, I guess you could do that. But more importantly, you can uh, tag us in a comment and that tag will come up here before me and we can bring your comment in that way. And if all else fails, and I don't test it very frequently or check it very frequently, but you could send us a text message and you see all that information on the bottom of the screen. Let me bring it up like this, kind of in a nice area. You can also email us at any point questions at Truth Factor Live, or if you just got something you want to say to Brian directly, send it to Brian at truthfactor.com or Brendan or Paul or Tom or me. Those email addresses work as well. I may in the future change them to where they're also truthfactorlive.com, but for right now, just do what you see on the screen there if you'd like to contact us directly. All right, let's see. All right, Tom, when you speak, you'll need to speak up a little bit. You were a little bit soft oh, in the in the Well, oh, I am muted right now. Am I am I okay now? Yeah, just when, yeah, whenever you talk, just kind of project a little bit. Yeah. Okay, right. Um I keep that was comment from the from the chat room, so. Okay. So, let's go ahead and begin with our study through Ecclesiastes. One of the first things we're going to talk about has to do with the subject of who wrote this very powerful book. Um, Brian, let's go ahead and start with you. What are your What are your thoughts? What have you heard about the author of Ecclesiastes? You know, the thing about Ecclesiastes is it starts off by telling us that whoever wrote this is uh, Kohilath. Um, some people tell think Kohilath was the name of the person that wrote it, um, but the word Kohilath means preacher. So we believe it to be a title or an expression of the identity of the author. This person says he's the son of David and he's king in Jerusalem. Now, at first you think, well, son of David, king in Jerusalem, there's only one son of David that was also the king in Jerusalem. But any of David's descendants might have taken the title of, you know, son of David. Even even Jesus is called the son of David. So uh, that doesn't necessarily mean we're only talk about his one son. But I do think that our most likely candidate for who wrote this book is Solomon. 
So Solomon, of course, is David's, not his oldest son, not his firstborn son. In fact, one of his younger sons. Uh, Solomon is the son of promise. Um, his name means peace. Uh, and he's the one whom Jesus, uh, whom God had said that uh, he would be put upon a throne. And he's kind of a stand in for Jesus. Um, the real promise is about Jesus. But Solomon is this king of peace who's in the city of peace. That's what uh, Jerusalem or Salem means. So Solomon has been set up as uh, the likely candidate for this book. The other reason we think it's Solomon is the nature of the book. The book is the idea of a person trying to find um, reason and understanding in things. And one of the key characteristics about Solomon, the, the thing that you need to know about Solomon, is that the Word of God says that Solomon was blessed with knowledge and wisdom and understanding far more than any other person before or for centuries after. Uh, and so that unique characteristic helps us to kind of focus in that a likely candidate, uh, the what I would say is the most likely, I'd like to hear what the other guys have to say, uh, the most likely candidate for the authorship here is Solomon. I am in, I'm in agreement with uh, Brian. I, I think Solomon is the writer of this book. However, uh, if for some reason Coelith is a reference to another individual, I, I believe at the very least he was writing about Solomon. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, it, it's a possibility that he's doing a autobiography, or you know, if it, if it's not Solomon, but I I think it is Solomon, and and I kind of hope, yeah, I I was gonna say I kind of hope that the ending of the book finds Solomon reaching a conclusion where even though it's not recorded, he behaved or he made himself right with God, and that's my hope. So anyway, go ahead. Well, <clears throat> let me open up a can of worms. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the <laughs> I, I'm in agreement with the panel. It's it, it, it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely Solomon. Um, now, at what point in his life? That's to me the real question. I don't think you can answer that because whether or not you believe Solomon repented depends on when you date the book, and how you date the book depends on whether or not Solomon repented. Um, you know, the the chronicler and the writer of first and second kings kind of lives the whole leaves the whole question about whether or not Solomon repented in his life really up. It's a big question mark. Uh, because the last thing we have recorded in First Kings is Solomon turns away from God and the Lord was angry with him because of that. Um, now this is where I would say, like, flash a warning on the screen or something. Now, according to Jewish tradition, which again, Jewish tradition, all tradition can be trusted as far as you can throw it. Um, but true tradition is that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes in the few years left of his life, either after he abdicated the throne or not. And this was him reflecting upon life's failures and his own sins and really what the whole matter is. I throw that in there because, you know, even before, quote, Christian study of the book, you have the Jews for centuries before saying, hey, Solomon wrote this. This is kind of like his reflection on life, and we should probably pay attention to it since he is the wisest man who ever lived. Okay. My apologies. This is about two weeks in a row that I did that. 
See, the deceptive part is the guys in the Zoom room, they can hear me because the mic feeds there. But I had, for whatever reason, it muted on my side so that you could not. But we're not going to undo all that. We're going to go ahead and, and jump right into it. I'll cut down the, the, the monologue that you didn't hear that we step into. Okay. Boy, I got I to gotta not do that again. And John, what you had to say was incredible. I tell you what, the words of wisdom there just can't be repeated. So, well, <laughs> at least you didn't go the other route. Yeah, sad thing that didn't go out and recorded because we could have you disbarred if they did that to preachers. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into Ecclesiastes. Then um, I'll edit some of that out on the rec- on the stream there. So let me get this all prepped so we can do this. Brian, if you would, let's go ahead and start. Actually, let me start with Brendan. Sorry, Brian. And Brendan, if you would, take a moment and read for us there. Let's do the first three verses of Ecclesiastes. Okay. Are you reading from the the, the new liberal LSB? (laughs) No, I have my new American standard right now because it has all my notes in it. Is that what you're reading from? Yeah, Hang on, 95. Let me get that called up for everybody at home. That way, and for the record, the, will... the 95 New American Standard is the only right New American Standard. Um. <laughs> All right, there you go. <laughs> so, first three verses. Yeah. <clears throat> the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? Do me a favor. I'm sorry. Read one more. Verse four. Yeah. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Okay. There are two different, um, Two different sources there that I kind of looked at and the way they outline it are a little bit different. One goes to three and then four and the following is connected, but another one stops at four. So, so Brenda, let me ask you a question here as we begin this portion of this study there. We've already talked about before the author of it and he identifies preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. But what about the word vanity? Let's go ahead and begin talking. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but what does the word vanity mean? Well, if we go to the <clears throat> authorized version or the old King James, I believe they translate it as vapor or breath, indicating the idea of it is temporary uh, emptiness. Uh, it has something that's, if we get to the word, it's, uh, it, it's transitory. It's uh, un, not permanent. So I think emptiness is probably a good synonym or definition for what vanity is. Okay, that makes sense. Um, when you're looking at um, even the, the definition of it, it kind of carries that idea of, like you said, emptiness in the uh, Strong's definition, emptiness or vanity. But Brian, you had a kind of a, a different uh, take on the word vanity and our kind of notes for the study. Well, I, it wasn't so much a different take. I just note that the the word in Hebrew that's translated in this case, vanity, is sometimes the word that's also translated as the word idol. So that a lot of times uh, it's less to say that vanity is an idol, but that idols are vanity. Um, so it's just kind of neat okay. that most of the time this word is used, it's in reference to idols. 
and just how empty and utterly devoid of any value they really are. Okay, interesting point. So, yeah, you know, the, uh, what we're looking uh, at, or go ahead, Tom. Just, I just want to say, like the, the Christian Standard Bible, it uses mm-hmm. the word sometimes futility, which, which, which I don't think is a direct translation, but more of a, it's really a description of what it is. Uh, say the word again. Futility. So, anyways. Yeah. Yeah, that would be more of a thought idea behind it, but I think it's a good, a good, a good way to look at it. The idea of when he says all is vanity, all is all is futile, all is um, empty. You know, it's basically all for nothing if you kind of stop and think about the idea. And that's kind of the point that he says there in the text when he says vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, looking at this, we may kind of under- ask the question, what is he talking about? All is vanity. And that's what he sets out to, to show us in the book, but not just in the book, but in the immediate context. The question you see on the screen there, I think, is very telling. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? So here's something to keep in mind as we talk about this particular study. This question that Paul, that, that, uh, Paul, sorry, that Solomon poses here, it is, it seems to be the idea of the problem that man faces in that everything that he does, everything he plants, everything he sows, everything he builds, everything he tears down, everything he does, every good deed, every bad deed, all of this, all 70 years of your life, 80 years of your life is for nothing because you die. Okay, And in Solomon's writing here, that seems to be the ultimate quandary. Death is coming. Death is coming for some of us in 10 years. Some of us, we may die five days from now. Others, we might live another 30 or 40 years. And all the great, wonderful things that we've done, one day we're going to die, and it's all for nothing from that perspective. Um, this is not to say that Solomon didn't believe in life after death. I believe that he fully did believe, like David did, that after death, there would be with the Father in heaven. But in the context of this, he addresses it kind of from that standpoint, that death is the end. And therefore, everything that you do under the earth is, or under the sun, is for nothing. Because ultimately, you die and someone else gets it. Someone else is able to have it. It decomposes, whatever you want to say there. I mean, think about it. You spend years writing a novel, and then you die. And then five years later, there's a great big book burning and an EMP takes out all electronic data. All the, the, the life's work put into that book goes away. No one benefits from it. No one ever sees it again. And I have known some people who would spend their time thinking about that. What's the point of, of doing this? What's the point of doing that if one day we might die? And young people oftentimes get worried about that. But anyway, let's see. Any thoughts or comments from the gallery before, and I'll be checking our social media here. Let's see. John, uh, one thing that I think is interesting, there's there's one perspective we might take with the book of Ecclesiastes that in some ways it's the science book of the Bible. And what I mean by that is that it is an experiment, uh, a very scientific experiment. You made the statement to say life, is or seems futile that you know hey whatever i do it's just not going to last but the question always comes up well what if i could do something really important 
well, maybe I just don't have enough money to do something really important, or I'm just not smart enough to come up with the best invention in the world to change things, or I just don't have enough power to do it. But what's really neat about the book of Ecclesiastes is that one time in human history, one man had the intelligence, the wealth, and the power to do anything, to, to accomplish anything, unlike any other human being in history. He's the smartest man to have lived. He's one of the richest men to have lived. And, you know, power-wise, he has the power of a monarch to do whatever he wants. So this question of, can I find a meaning in life? Can I make something last? A lot of times we have to bracket that by, what am I able to do? Well, I'm not smart enough to do something really great. I'm not powerful enough to make real change. Uh, I can't do something that's really going to uh, last. But Solomon could. Uh, in human history, and as I said, this is a science book because it's an experiment. Can we find a value? Here's the scientific question. Here's the thesis. Can we find value in life if we have an ability to supersede these limitations that keep us in? And Solomon is going to put that to the test. And he's going to put it to the test in a couple of ways. We're about to see him. He's going to talk about, first of all, um, if I'm smart enough, can that make uh, what I do successful? Number two, he's going to talk about the idea, if I have enough, can that make me special? He's going to then talk about, could I build enough or could I work enough? And, and of course, Solomon is a city builder. I mean, we think of Solomon working. You're the king. But he's a city builder. He's a, he's a kingdom builder. He's going, to, he's going to stretch the boundaries of the kingdom that was given to him by his father to its utmost height. It's going to be at its largest in its history under him. And he's going to build cities all over the place. So he's going to build things and, and he's going to, um, like I said, he's going to, he's going to reach all these levels. And so he's bringing us this book as though it's a science book. It's a test. You know, it's got a formula. It's got a, you know, it's got a hypothesis. It's got the test parameters and he's going to lay it out for us like that so that we can answer the question. Is there, is there a meaning to life? And of course, the very last words are going to talk about the meaning of life. Uh, is there a meaning to life that can be found in these things? So um, that's really one of the things that I, I think is worth considering here when we consider the the purpose of this book. Um, I can't, I'm not smart enough to, you know, to come up with something really great. I'm not rich enough to enact great change. I'm not powerful enough to make great change. I don't, I don't have the ideas to build things. But if, but if I did, would that really matter? And that's Solomon's question and answer for us. Okay. That's a good take on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Look now at this last one in verse four we read just a moment ago. And this is kind of, you know, pulling it this section. He then says, one generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. And again, just kind of lending to what we've already been talking about the, as Brian says, the test, the experiment, um, the conundrum, though, that we are faced with when we stop and consider these things. And what's interesting is that we, we have a, we think that we have a better look at history. You know, archaeologists are working, and so we're trying to see how far back. When's the earliest sign that man could write? When's the earliest, I saw something the other day, they found the oldest, um, Pharaoh, or tomb of a pharaoh that was lined or leaf or gold, I'm sorry, gold leaf on them and everything. But even during Solomon's age, 
they knew the world had been around for thousands of years. They knew that generations had come before them and before them. They knew, they knew these histories. Um, maybe not specifics of the entirety of the earth, but they knew that this was the general functioning of man. Yeah. Okay. All right. Any other thoughts? We do have a, um, let me bring up Chris's comment in the chat room. Brendan, go ahead while I bring this up. So a, a couple of things, since in the first four verses here, Solomon introduces some phraseology that he will use repeatedly throughout this book. Um, and I'll I'll try and avoid like stepping on Chris's comment because it's a really good comment. <laughs> but um, do you want to bring so it we, in first? Sure. Let's let's bring it in first. Let's see. Do you have it in front of you? Yeah. Okay. Hang on just a second. And you can be the reader of that. Go ahead. So Chris Kramer writes, uh, Ecclesiastes should not be looked at as a downer on life, but that life has no meaning without God. After all, chapter 5 and verse 18 says, to enjoy the good of his labor that God has provided. Um, and Ecclesiastes, I think, I'm going to touch on that first. I think Ecclesiastes gets a bad rap when it comes to uh, the books of the Bible. You know, everybody loves studying Proverbs because they're pithy and short and, you know, it's, it's, you know, doesn't, doesn't make us any uncomfortable. Uh, Song of Solomon's makes us uncomfortable for, but for different reasons. Uh, but uh, it, it's still wisdom and it's still there. You know, Peter told us that God has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So that explains why Song of Songs is in there. But we get to Ecclesiastes and it's like, okay, wow, what do we do with this? And I think, I think Chris hits on something, and, and that is Ecclesiastes teaches us how to live in a world that often does not make sense. Um, is in the highs and lows, we see wicked, sometimes wicked people succeed and righteous people don't succeed. You know, this is maddening and hair pulling if we don't factor God into the equation. And so when we read that phrase there in, in verse three, under the sun. This is a repeated phrase that comes up in the book. And it's not so much talking about a physical location, but a philosophical standpoint. That is, if I live my life where this earth is the end-all, be-all boundary of my existence, that there is no spiritual, there is no God, then everything Solomon says in these opening lines is 100% true. Um, in, in that... If my whole outlook is just for the here and now, what profit is there? Which he brings up in verse three. What does man gain? Uh, the 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 human desire there to be in the black, to make a profit, to leave a lasting mark. Um, there is none. Um, and we'll get to this later in the study. But until you factor the eternity into the equation, um, you know, there really is no rhyme or reason why things happen in this life if you don't factor eternity in you know illustration of this like of the of what we've been talking about of just what profit is there and you know the earth abides forever and it will eventually forget you is sears uh roebuck used to be the biggest corporation in america basically you could buy anything through the sears catalog at one point you could even buy a house through sears and they would ship it to you nails and all and you could build it um, I had the privilege of going downtown Memphis to visit what they call the Crosstown Concourse. 
And it is an old Sears distribution warehouse that now has been turned into shops, apartment buildings, office spaces. The thing is massive. But today for my generation, you think of Sears and Sears is a bankrupt failed company because things like that can never last. Amazon one day will be a bankrupt failed company because life under the sun, it will never last. And so maybe an application point here is we need to factor God in sooner rather than later and be making sure that we're doing things in the here and now that actually will impact our eternity, um, lest we get caught in the cycle of life under the sun where life really has no meaning out, you know, if we don't factor God in. So, all right. Well, I appreciate that. I think that's a good point. When when I first started during the brilliant monologue that you couldn't hear because I had my mic muted, I, I did kind of, I didn't say what you said so eloquently, but did make the point that at the end of Ecclesiastes, he leaves us with the conclusion is to fear God and keep his commandments. But going back to what Chris said, and, and your everything that was said was right. Yeah, I think it's a good, good explanation there about that. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just make and and building on that, uh, when you were mentioning the verse four, the one generation passes away, another generation comes. You know, uh, the nature of man doesn't change. You know, technology does. Um, uh, we see all kinds of improvements and so on, but the point that is being made here is the nature of man's always going to be that way, which is why, like what Brendan said, you know, uh, whoever uh, Amazon today's Sears and Robot robot. Um, will be gone eventually. Um, you know, Facebook, Facebook, which is so, which was so dominant and so powerful, and it is still powerful, but it's 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 not number one anymore, if I understand correctly. It, it's being bypassed, and dumped, <laughs> and something else yeah. is coming along. Uh, uh, the nature of man is the same though, and, and that's yeah. why there's this consistency. And, and as you find that through the book, that's why. Remember this, Solomon wrote this almost 3,000 years ago. And it's just as, and the principles are just as applicable today as they were back then. You know, yeah. when you go through the book of Proverbs or, or the book of Ecclesiastes, wow, you know, this is today. This is today. This is today. Anyways. All right. Any final thoughts one on more before we go to our next add. section? One more thing. Um, I zoom for yep. us there for a second. Um, the first 12 verses or so of Ecclesiastes, uh, 11 verses of Ecclesiastes. The way I understand there, there, there's intentionality here. I mean, that sounds like a given and no, no matter what book of the Bible, but the first 11 verses, I think, are meant to be a gut punch to anyone who's reading this. It is the metaphorical slap across the face to wake up as to what's you know what are you hoping to get out of life and you know to tom's point about us uh it's super applicable you know we um we need this sometimes we live through life thinking there's going to be a tomorrow and sometimes even believers live life as if this is all there is and I think that's sometimes why we, I use the royal we there, are uncomfortable with this book. Um, because it it talks about a lot of uncomfortable things. 
it speaks about uh, vain worship in chapter five. It talks about vain building throughout the whole book. It talks about, um, you know, there's days where Solomon felt like it had been better never to be born than to have been born. I mean, people wrestle with that. And I think that wrestling is good because the Bible doesn't deal with us on a superficial level. It deals with us as a whole being. And as whole beings, we have to wrestle with these hard things if we're going to actually live lives and meaning. And so first 11 verses, bit of a gut punch because yep. it's like, okay, wake up. We're, we're going to deal with some hard things here. You know, a student of the Bible in studying Ecclesiastes should learn these lessons, but if he doesn't, he'll learn them in life, you know? And so it'd be better if you can learn them beforehand than as you're living through life and maybe miss the ultimate lesson. So, all right, so Brian, let's go ahead and continue in our reading. Verse, again, I was looking down at my, my Bible, my New King James Version, and based on the way it translates it, um, it does tend to connect four with five and not so much four with three. With three. But let's go ahead and start reading, if you would. Let's read beginning in verse four. We'll back up to there to kind of get a context there with that. And take us down to verse 11, Mr. Brian. Absolutely. Reading from the New King James this morning, one generation pa <clears throat> passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything in which it may be said, see, this is new. See, it has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the things that are to come by those who will come after. All righty. I appreciate that, Brian. All right, let's back on up here for a moment to verse five and kind of verses four and five. We'll walk through this. Um, Brian, in the discussion here of the text, I keep hitting the wrong button. I need to remap my keypad out. So he, he, he starts now to continue what he started there in verse four, really. The idea of, of something that is permanent, if you would, and something that is not, or something that is temporary and something that is not. And it's interesting in verse five, he uses the sun as an illustration. Okay, this marks every single day. The sun goes up, the sun goes down. And it's interesting the way that he observes this. And I know it's just poetic writing here to make the point, but it hastens to the place where it arose, which means you go to sleep, you wake up the next morning, and what do you see? Well, here comes the sun. And that's kind of a good illustration to the life that we live one day after the next. Yeah. All right, so let's see. What about verse six there? What's his point there? Throw this back to you, Brian. Uh, he's kind of trying to say that no matter who we are, no matter what we do, nothing really gets changed. Um, you know, there's an old story of one of the great kings of England. Um, uh, Brendan, you're going to have to help me out if I got the right guy. King Canute, was he Canute the Great uh, in British history? 
And so everybody's saying, what a great king you are. And he's kind of disgusted and tired by it. So he orders his people to carry him down to the ocean. They put him on the beach. And he stands up and he says, with all the power I have, I command the waves to stop. And of course, they don't stop. You know, they come up upon him. And his point is, uh, all the power I have, I can't, I can't do anything about, you know, the waves. I can't do anything about the things around us. Um, kind of a point here I see, a couple of things you might think is, number one, um, the will just goes on, it, you know, as though we don't matter. You know, if I if I kind of try to think I'm important, the world doesn't care. You know, the, the oceans, they don't care. The, the wind doesn't care. It doesn't pay any attention to me. It just keeps going on, just like it always did. And I really don't have any impact on it. Contrary to what a lot of people want to say today about human beings on the earth, here is the wisest man ever saying, you know, we really don't have any impact on the things around us. We don't really leave a mark. Uh, and any mark we leave is forgotten or lost or uh, dismissed. So that's one of the big ideas of vanity is that he tried to jump out there and say to the world, world, I'm here. I'm Brian. Remember me. And the world just keeps right on going and it doesn't care. Well, I think a great example of this is think about pyramids. All right. All of our study of ancient Egypt and everything, we still don't know the fundamental origins and purposes. We think we do, but whoever's great idea it was to build these huge buildings that are in the shape of what we call pyramids died with him. That's neat because, because yeah. pyramids, the, the Egyptian pyramids represent the greatest structures in human history, right? Because they're the most known, they're the oldest, they're the most uh, observable. And you're right. We don't even know 100% who built them. We don't know exactly why they built them. And if they were a tomb, there's nobody left in them. So it really is yeah. a pretty uh, uh, incredible point to say the greatest thing ever built in human history. Uh, uh, I don't know, you know, and, and of course, most of us probably and I don't really care. You know, it's not it's not something that changes my life to know. No, that's right. That's right. Um so real quick, and we'll take some comments here real quick. So kind of illustrating this point even more, he uses the sun as an example. In verse five, he uses the wind there in verse six. All right, about the just the fact that we can't control it. It comes and it goes. It makes a circuit, if you would. He says in verse six, then he uses the rivers running into the sea uh, the, to the place from which the rivers come. There they return again. All of these things, he says, are full of labor. Man cannot express it. And then he says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So let me throw this one then to Brendan uh, as kind of a question. Um, and then um, we'll throw the next question. The next reading will go to Tom. In verse 8 there, when he makes this statement there, he says, uh, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Do you think that here he's now making the fundamental application of the sun the, the the wind and the rivers and basically man is no different regarding its coming and going as those i think that's a valid <clears throat> excuse me i think that's a valid takeaway uh from that section um i i read the larger section of four through nine as um there is this never-ending cycle of creation that god has ordered the 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 rivers keep flowing the sun keeps rising the stars keep moving and it is a futile endeavor for mankind to see it all or know it all because if we could we wouldn't be man we we'd be gods 
And so, you know, e- even think about like the current a- attempts to uh, come up with uh, taxonomies. I think that's the right word. Probably not too big of a word for me, but like trying to catalog all the species on the earth. And our classification system for that is only like 150, 200 years old, if that. Um, you know, we there's so much more we don't know than what we actually do know, which is staggering. We kind of touched on that earlier. Um, it's just for us, we're part of this cycle. We are part of this created order. And one of the hard lessons of Ecclesiastes is the sooner you learn to accept that you're part of this created order and embrace it is the sooner you're liberated to enjoy it. Um, it is vexing and weariness to the bones. If we are trying to understand everything because we just can't do it. Not even Solomon. I know what he said about his wisdom, but not even Solomon understood everything perfectly. And the old Proverbs, you know, stands true about studying history and everything else. Uh, those who study history are uh, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. And the ones who do study history are doomed to watch everyone else repeat it. Um, there's nothing you can do about it because human nature is fundamentally the same. So. All right. That's a good point. Yeah. Tom, you had yeah. a thought. Yeah. Yeah. You know, building on all of this, when I see that verse eight, the all things are full of labor, men cannot express it. You know, in addition to the cyclical nature of the world, the same thing is true with man himself. I, I I mean, think about this. You get hungry, you fill yourself, and you you may even fill yourself to the point that you feel that you're stuffed. A few hours later, you got to eat again. You know, uh, you know, you you go out to your garden, you go out to your garden, and you pull weeds, <laughs> and uh, tomorrow you got to pull them again. You know, you got to keep laboring, so you. Even the the life of a man is cyclical from the things that we do. We got to keep doing things. You got to you got to keep cleaning the house. You know, we got to keep maintaining the car. Uh, just everything about life it it gets tedious. It gets monotonous, and um, so it's not just nature itself. It's man. You know the way that we live our life, and and that can lead to vanity. Of, you know, or you know, realizing the futility. Of, of what you're doing, you know, you've accomplished this great task, but then something else comes along tomorrow that you got to deal with it again and those kinds of things. So anyways, just a thought. All right. Appreciate that. All right. Let's see here real quick. Sorry. Get the right. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and close up verses 10 and 11. Let me bring it back up on the screen, and then we'll go back to our gallery view and uh, talk about these two verses. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come, but those who will come after. All right, any final thoughts or comments on this section before we move to the next section here? Go ahead, Brendan. Yeah, obviously there, obviously there, he's saying man's going to die. And and how much do we really remember about people from 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 25 years? You know, there there's a handful of people because they made a mark that you know a little bit about them. But how 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 many of us know a whole lot about a whole lot of people? 
from the past. You know, the average person going on in life can be the best person in the world. He can be the worst person in the world. But when he dies, you know, it's just a just a year or two. Yeah. Uh, uh, basically, when his generation who was around him, when they're gone, all they do is become a memory. You know, Brendan gave the illustration of Sears and Robux. You know, Sears and Robux means a whole lot more or a whole lot different to me, uh, me, Brian, and and John than it does to Brendan. And and and, and uh, where Brendan's concerned, uh, it means more to him than kids. You know, kids today. You know, what does nine eleven mean to us? You know, now 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 go to now go to a kid in ninth grade. What does it mean to him? It's history, and that's yeah. it. But see, I had a band director who was alive when Kennedy was President Kennedy was shot, but I was born after. Yeah. All right. So it's one of those cases where I couldn't fully relate to his experience, what he went through when he saw it. But the kids today can't relate to like what you said with 9-11, as we sat around our kitchen table watching TV and saw that event happen. Yeah. Yep. That's, yeah. That's the um, point. And Brenda, uh, you, you've got a thought. We'll, we'll jump to you here in just a second. I heard this is more philosophical, but someone made a point. I remember what book it was in several years back that you're truly not forgotten until the last person who remembers you or knows about you thinks about you. And so they say you, 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 you don't cease to exist until you're finally forgotten by everybody. Of course, that's philosophically speaking. Solomon said it doesn't work that way, <laughs> but go ahead, Brendan. And go ahead, Brian. Just as a side note, what's interesting is on the spiritual side of that, God says, I've written your name on my hand. Um, there's nothing in this world that's going to remember us, but Solomon's not pointing to the things that, you know, is not talking about the spiritual things. Spiritually speaking, God says, I'll never forget you. And that's kind of a neat little point to drop in there. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So on, on nine and 10 here, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, it is new, it has already been, it has already, it has been already in ages before us. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, a government is still a government, no matter what form it takes. Uh, sin is still sin, no matter what the dressing is. There really is nothing new in the sense of being new because all it is, it, our new is just old things wrapped up in new clothing. Um, yeah. And we may think, well, that's not possible. We have cell phones. We have all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, but what does cell phones allow you to do? It allows you to do the same thing that the ancients did with libraries or brothels or whatever it may be. It's just a, it's a new clothing for the old tricks. And you know, a couple point piece of illustration uh, in my history classes in college. And I've, I've just absorbed these because I find them they're humbling, they're grounding, and they just make you realize nothing is new. In first century Rome, they had fast food. Now it wasn't McDonald's, but they had these little, they had these little carts that you paid us, you know, a, a, a septum or whatever it was. And you got a hot meal because if you were poor, your apartment didn't have enough room for a kitchen. Uh, when Rome conquered Sparta, they were so mesmerized with the Spartans that they basically turned Sparta into the ancient equivalent of Disneyland, where they had reenactments of the Battle of Thermopylae. They had 
reenactments of Spartan training, and you could buy souvenirs. We're not, we haven't changed at all. And I get, the more you read history, the more you realize, wow, things don't change. Um, one of my favorite books in my library is The Dictionary of Early Christian Beliefs. And it's arranged topically from early church writers from like the early, early, you know, 100s to like the 400s. They're debating the same questions that you and I are debating today. You know, like, what's the nature of the indwelling of the spirit? Do you need to con- you know, confess every single sin or does general confession work? Make a reference to last last week's program. Yeah, we we've debated the same things forever, and some people would say, "Oh, that's that's awful, though. It's futility. What what point is there?" I'm like, I don't think it's discouraging. I I think it's encouraging, at least for me in my brain and how it is, because it's like, okay, if man is fundamentally the same, it means his problems are the same, and it means his solutions are still the same, and they've they've been the same since God's revealed His Word to us, and so. The the choice is still the same. Do we actually listen and obey, or do we continue to chart our own course there? So, it's a good point. Good point. Good way of looking at it. All right. Let's see. Any other thoughts? Oh, some um, Danielle in the chat room makes a comment that she had seen the uh, let's see the fast food places in Pompeii. Yeah. And by the way, that's, that's and Danielle? Danielle. Danielle. Yeah, it is spelled Danielle, but it's Danielle. Danielle, okay. I, I, I know All who right. it is. Is her middle name Evans or Evans? <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Thank you, Tom, for correcting me on that. Um, but I think it's a good point. You know, nothing new under the sun, quite literally. You know, uh, let's make a uh, hey, let's make a truth factoring statement for just a second. Uh, it's important for Christians today to remember when we look at the world around us, we say, wow, it's so evil. It's never been like this before. Uh, remember Ecclesiastes? Yeah, it has. None of this is new. Uh, the, the world's going so bad, you know, nobody knows how to deal with it. People have dealt with it. You know, there's there's nothing new under the sun. Um, Jesus, Jesus said, as far as persecution goes, the worst persecution there would ever be, that was 2,000 years ago. So sometimes we get obsessed with this, oh, the world's going to go so bad and uh, you know, I can just see things getting worse and worse every day. We we don't know. Uh, we have to be very careful about that. We have to be honest and say, there's nothing new. All the worst depravities that we're seeing all the time, we're thinking, wow, I've never, It's it's been here before. Well, and to that point, um, this was, I think last year I was listening to Dennis Prager show, and I don't normally listen to that, but I just happened to be on. And he made a point that I has just stuck with me ever since. He goes, you know, and he was referencing Ecclesiastes about that same point. It's like, you know, somebody once said there's nothing new under the sun. And if you really think about it, God is living Groundhog's Day every single day of existence. Think of, if you think about that, like, yeah, God has seen this all before. And think about how maddening it might be to him. <laughs> and we, we're here with our, like, as C.S. Lewis said, the chronological, chrono- chronological snobbery we have and we think we're better off than our ancestors were and actually we're really not <laughs> no we might we might have cooler stuff the way that we would look at it but they still did the same thing um i've often thought people are amazed at how they built the pyramids whoever whenever they built it 
And my thoughts are, you know, if you took this generation of people and put it back there, whenever it was built, we would have built the pyramids and bring those people up to today. They would have been designing smartphones and things like that. You know, it's just, it's just the way that it's, it's all the same thing, just different, different things, I guess, different practices. But then again, they're all the same. Right. And, right, and by the way, John, with all the improvements, uh, they don't necessarily make things better. Uh, no. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, deep down, that's the thing. So. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're going off a cliff in a bicycle or a Lamborghini, one may be a bit nicer than the other one, but you're going off the cliff either way. So. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let me see. Look at the time. We've got about four minutes. So I said, I thought we might be able to get even into chapter two, but it's been a while since we've had one of these book studies and I forget about, oh, some of us like to talk a lot. I won't mention any names. Paul, you're not here today, so you're not to blame. (laughs) But anyway, no, really. We do, um, let's plan to continue this next Thursday. We'll start at I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. So with that being said, I think Brian had already introduced a really good kind of a truth-factoring moment. Um, but any anyone else before any of the, the guys here and at home in the comments, if you want to drop in a quick, here's a lesson learned from what we've looked at so far, feel free to do that. And uh, we'll take a few minutes to bring it in as we close our study out. And let's start with you, Brendan. Any thoughts? Well, I've I've said a lot of what I thought today, um, but there is nothing new. And I'm just going to repeat that statement again. There's nothing new, which means our answers to our problems. Um, we don't need a new self-help book. We don't need a new philosophy or, my, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it. The answers have been revealed by God and his word. And so we just have to go back and actually look for them. And Solomon's going to help us do that with a lot of life's vexing problems because he deals with almost all of them in Ecclesiastes. Well, there are certain times, well, many, many times, life problems weight us down like an anchor. And if we kind of have a better perspective on things, then we don't sink as deep you know, when the problem's hit. Brian, any thoughts? Oh, you're muted like me. <laughs> Sorry about that. And I just, it was incredible what I was saying too. Um, <laughs> Solomon is is going to dedicate himself to a certain degree of propositions. Number one, he's going to say, what if I could learn it all? Number two, he's going to say, what if I can enjoy it all? Number three, he says, what if I can do it all work-wise? And what, number four, he's going to talk about the idea of of what if I could own it all? Um, and those kind of are what life is outside of a spiritual dimension, right? And that's what Ecclesiastes is saying. What, you know, what can I experience outside of a spiritual world? And each one of those things, we already know the answer because he told us at the beginning, it's all meaningless. And we need somebody who can tell us this at the level that he's going to be able to tell us this because, you know, I don't get to ex- enjoy everything. You know, because I I got to do some work. I don't get to build incredible things because I'm not that talented. I don't get to know everything because I'm not that smart. So Tal- Solomon's going to find this out now for us. And he's already told us the answer. Uh, the answer is it's meaningless. It's not going to satisfy you in any way. 
And you've got to figure, you know, we have to find an answer somewhere else. That's what God offers to us. Good point. And then, Tom, any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to going through this study. Uh, I would like to just conclude with a spoiler alert. Uh, and it's Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is me and all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Uh, you know, I, I think it would be good to conclude with those two verses every single time we study this. Uh, and, you know, just the reminder, this is where we're headed. And so yeah. just think about that as you go through everything that's dealt with. I think that's a good point. Um, you know, what you do in life, do it the best you can. Serve the Lord. But also don't get caught up in the 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 drives of the world because it all comes to an end. Your spirit will go back to God and everything that you've left here behind will go on to someone else. So put your focus on what's most important, as has already been stated there. Um, we'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. We have Danielle. Did I say it tight, right, Tom? Yep. Danielle yeah, yeah, and yeah. let's see, Chris and Lori and Don as well was on with us. Uh, Richard and others, we'd like to thank you for joining us for our study. We will continue this next Thursday, 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. And if if you'd like to join us for the study, we'd love to have you. We will be on uh, live stream on Facebook like you've seen here. So if you haven't already done so, follow this page so you receive notifications. And on our YouTube channel, which is also Truth Factor Live, if you'd like to, like the video and maybe gives us give us a thumbs up. And I think that's the way it works. And then subscribe. That's the one I wanted to say. Subscribe so you'll get notifications also. But if something comes to you later, or if you're watching this at a later point this week, and maybe you disagree with something we've said, or maybe have a thought you'd like to add to the study, send us those comments. Send them to questions at truthfactorlive.com. Throw that up one more time. Questions at truthfactorlive.com. And we'll, we'd love to hear from you. Love to hear what you have to say about that. Well, with that being said, guys, we'll see everyone back here again next Thursday as we'll pick up there in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, there in verse 12. Y'all say goodbye, and everybody have a wonderful week.